torn apart, those who've lost loved ones. We pray, Father, that you would be with them and, and help them in, in any which way uh, that is possible. Please bless those who are serving them, Father, and our hearts go out uh, to them. Lord, we're, we're thankful for our family here, and we pray your blessing on us as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of your holy word. Thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses here is speaking of a prophecy. First, there's going to be a prophet. Secondly, this prophet is going to be like Moses in some ways. Thirdly, this prophet who is to come will have all authority. He'll have the words of God in his mouth. And then fourth, those who do not listen to him, God will require it of them. So there's going to be dire consequences if you don't listen to this prophet. The inspired Peter, over in Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, he takes this prophecy of Deuteronomy 18 and he applies it to Jesus our Lord. And most of us understand this. So be sure in your Bibles and in your mind you're connecting Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19, with Acts chapter 3, Peter's sermon there in Jerusalem, Acts 3, and verse 22 and 23 in, in particular. Okay. So our lesson this evening will focus on the similarities between Moses and Jesus. The similarities between Moses and Jesus. What this is called sort of a type or a preview from the Old Testament that is fulfilled in the New Testament. Okay. God sometimes uses um, a picture or a visual aid. Sometimes he will use a person, place, or thing in the Old Testament as sort of a, a picture or a visual aid to point to some things concerning uh, Christianity in the New Testament. Um, the reason he did it this way was to prepare our minds to receive the things of Jesus Christ in a very clear way. Sometimes this is called a shadow. Hebrews 10 verse 1 in Colossians 2.14 says that Old Testament things were a shadow of good things to come. A shadow. So there is a shadow of Christ and New Testament things that are cast on the pages of the Old Testament and then the substance of that shadow is seen clearly on the pages of the New Testament. And so this is what we find here with Moses speaking of a prophet that will come and he'll be likened to Moses in several uh, different ways. This is God's uh, foreknowledge in action. God is able to see things that are past, present, and future all at the same time. No other being could ever do this. This is God's foreknowledge, his providence, and it's very precise as we'll see from this example uh, this evening. And so we'll go over several of these similarities. We'll focus on, on some more than others. Some of these similarities will be more familiar to us than others. And I want to focus on some that perhaps we haven't brought out in quite a while. Okay. But we'll start with the birth, both both in the birth of Moses, as we've studied here the last uh, couple of weeks, and the birth of Christ, political leaders 
We're trying to eliminate them. Okay, that's the first similarity. In both cases, at their times of their birth, political authorities were trying to eliminate their lives. Of course, Pharaoh uh, was uh, very disappointed in the midwives, ex Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Pharaoh was disappointed that the midwives would not slay the, the Hebrew uh, males that were born. And so he gave a, a widespread commandment to, to kill all the males of the Hebrew children. Save the daughters alive, but kill the males, Exodus 1, 22. But Moses' parents, when they, when they had Moses, they hid him for three months and then they put him in a basket. And of course, in God's providence, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's uh, palace. In a similar way, in, in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus' life is threatened when he is born. Now, who's the villain in Matthew 2? Who's the villain? Herod the Great. That's right. And what was Herod's problem? What was his, what was his concern? Okay. He didn't like this idea of there being a born uh, king, a king born uh, to be king of the Jews. Okay. And so um, he had instructed the wise men to come back, but God instructed the wise men to go home another way. And so uh, this made him angry and he searched for the child to destroy him. But God appeared to Joseph. Matthew 2, 13, God appeared, uh, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, said, you go to Egypt. And then, of course, that made him mad. And so Herod had uh, the male children, two years and down, destroyed in the area of Bethlehem. If you look at Matthew 2, 16 and 17, I believe it is, this also was prophesied that that Rachel would have to be crying. Okay? Rachel, in other words, the nation of Judah would be crying because of the lost male boys in that area. But Jesus' life was threatened, and so was Moses' life threatened uh, when they were born. Um, you notice there are the prophecies, but you also notice that both leaders, and this is the way it is with villains, uh, they're acting out of fear. Pharaoh became paranoid because the, the Hebrews were growing in such a fantastic way in the land of Egypt. He was fearful that they might uh, overcome them. And then, um, of course, Herod was fearful of, of a new king coming along the way. So that's one similarity. All right. A second similarity is this. Both Moses and Jesus were rejected by their own people. The rejection. We, we uh, studied last week, Exodus 2, 13 and 14, where Moses came down and, and, and he saw a, uh, an Egyptian being Hebrew and then uh, he stu st stood up for his, his brother there and he came back the next day, saw two uh, of God's people fighting and he stepped in to try to settle that and, and uh, they said, uh, who made you a, a prince and a judge among us? You're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian uh, yesterday and so Pharaoh found out about that and Moses had to flee and so initially Moses was rejected as a leader by his people and the same thing is said about Jesus and in, in John chapter 1 verse 11 he came unto his own and his own received him not okay. now as many as did receive him and believe him he gave power to them to become the sons of God but um, they rejected him let's look at that 
a little bit closer in John 1, if you don't mind, John 1, uh, verse 11, because some of our religious uh, friends, um, they, they don't use this correctly. But it says in, in John 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave the power to become uh, sons of God. Okay. Now when a person believes in Christ to be the son of God, that puts that person in a good position to become a child of God. That does not make that person a child of God. And that's the distinction that needs to be made there, verses 11 and 12. Okay, notice in verse uh, 13, John 1, it says there, um, after you're given the right to become a child of God, uh, you are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, of man, but of God. In other words, when you be become a believer in Christ, then that sets you up to be ready to go ahead and obey the Lord and go through the new birth process. Okay. That is described for us there with Nicodemus and Jesus in, in John 3 and, and in several other uh, passages. Okay. So notice that Jesus was uh, rejected. Moses was uh, rejected. Those are two similarities, both the, uh, the uh, threatening at, at the birth and then also this rejection uh, from them. A, a third uh, similarity, uh, going back uh, to Moses, is to realize that both Moses and Jesus left uh, what we might call exalted positions uh, to do the will of God. Moses left the, he forsook the house of Pharaoh and um, come to identify with his, his brothers. And Jesus left an exalted position of heaven. Okay. And um, we went through Hebrews 11, 23 to 27 uh, last uh, couple of weeks talking about how Moses forsook Egypt and um, he identified with the people of God and uh, even uh, forsook all the treasures uh, that could have been his from the house um, palace of Pharaoh uh, to come and, and identify with the children of God. He considered the, the reproach of Christ of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. Okay. And so both Jesus and Moses, Moses as a preview, and we need to say this, that anytime something is previewed, a person, a place, or a thing, the thing that is previewed in the Old Testament is lesser in greatness than that which comes to a reality in the New. Okay. The shadow is always inferior to the real uh, thing that's being uh, projected. Okay. So Moses is lesser uh, in greatness and authority than Jesus, but nonetheless he gives a picture of what's going to happen with Jesus. So Moses left an exalted position uh, to come and uh, Moses spent his first 40 years with um, Pharaoh's family in the palace. But how did he spend the next 40 years? As a shepherd. As a shepherd. Now, here's a little verse you might want to look at. Genesis uh, 46. Genesis 46. This has to do when uh, finally Joseph's family would come to live 
uh, in Egypt uh, with him, or at least close by to him. But here's something you find out about, about shepherds. Uh, Joseph had explained to Pharaoh and the Egyptians that, hey, my family are basically shepherds. Okay. And pick up on this in Genesis uh, 46, 34. Genesis 46, 34. Joseph is telling his brothers what to say. He says, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of sheep or livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This was generally the worldview of um, of biblical times, that shepherds, both in Old Times and in New, New Testament times, uh, the, 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 the occupation of being a shepherd was looked down upon. And to the Egyptians it was considered an abomination. But Moses left, you see, Moses left the palace and came and he was a, he was a shepherd. And this is very much reminiscent of what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Though he was rich, yet what? What? Yeah, he became poor for our sakes. How rich was Jesus? Well, Philippians 2, 5, 6, 7, and 8 tells us that he did not count being on the equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation, took the point took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, okay, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay. So both Moses and Jesus left exalted positions in order to do uh, the will of God. Okay. Uh, another similarity, number four, another uh, similarity is both Moses and Jesus led their people out of bondage. Different kinds of bondage. But there was physical bondage for the people of God in Moses' day. He was appointed to lead them out of that physical bondage. And of course, Jesus was appointed to lead uh, his people, and this includes us today, out of, out of uh, spiritual bondage. Okay. John 8.34 explains that when we are sinners, uh, we're in bondage to sin. It is a bondage that we cannot get ourselves out of. Uh, it would take the work of Jesus Christ. Number five, both uh, Moses and Jesus used miracles in their respective ministries. They used miracles. And so when you look into Exodus 4, what type of miracles was God going to allow Moses to do? What do you remember? Hmm? Say it again. Plagues. Okay, definitely the plagues were coming. Initially, what three miracles did, did um, God invest in with Moses? Okay, the staff and, and the snake. Okay. okay, his hand becoming leprous. Okay, put it in his cloak and bring it out and put it back in its heel. Okay. And what was the other one? Yeah, turning, yeah. Turning um, water to blood. Okay. And, um, and then the first plague was what? 
Exodus 7 14, the first plague was Jesus turning, or rather, um, Moses having the water of the Egyptians turn uh, to blood. Okay. By the way, what was Jesus' first miracle? Water to wine. Okay. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. I think this is part of the preview that um, God spoke to us or speaks to us uh, in, in projection of Jesus. Okay. Of course, Jesus was a doer of miracles. No one ever like him uh, did miracles as he did. Uh, but both of them used uh, the miracles. Okay. Very good. Now, number six. Number six. Both Moses and Jesus were lawgivers. They gave law, didn't they? John 1.17. The law came through Moses and what came through Jesus? Hmm? John 1.17. The law came through Moses and what came through Jesus? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is not necessarily setting grace in contrast to law, okay? Because the system of Jesus is called law. Okay? Several, several places in the New Testament. Okay? There's no way to say that there are sinners unless there's some law to contradict, according to Romans 4 and verse 15. But nonetheless, the law, the old law, law for the Israelites came through Moses, but grace and truth, the law that would be for everyone came through uh, Jesus. Now, when Moses came down with the law, according to Exodus 32, what was going on? Worshiping idols. Okay, worshiping idols. How did, how did they get this idol? Well, according to his brother-in-law, they threw all this gold in the fire and out jumped the golden calf. Okay, golden calf worship. That's right. Okay. So be looking in your Bibles to Exodus 32. We need to look at something pretty close there. Both of them were lawgivers. And so what was God's reaction to what the people were doing? Uh, down there on the regular ground... Well, this, we'll pick up in verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. Verse 26, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come over to me. That's a great question. And so who came to him? All the sons of Levi gathered around him. Okay. And so what are the sons of Levi going to do? Verse 27. He said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate through the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. All that's been involved in this idol worship. Verse 28, mark this closely. 32, 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about how many? About 3,000 men of the people fell. 
So when the law of Moses was given from Sinai, 3,000 people were killed. When the law of Jesus went forth from Jerusalem, about 3,000 people, what? They were given life, spiritual life. Okay. That's a very important little detail, nugget of truth there, that's, that's really nice to be able to talk to people about and have it in our minds. So mark your Bible there, Exodus 32, uh, 28, if you haven't already got it marked. And put down there Acts 2.41. Acts 2.41. They that gladly received the word were baptized. And that day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So a similarity here and contrast. Okay. When the law of Moses went from Sinai. Then 3,000 people were killed. When the law of Jesus. Because you know Isaiah 2. Verses 2 through 4 prophesies. That the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem and the law out of uh, Zion. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people obeyed. And they, re they received spiritual life. When you're baptized, you're raised to walk in newness of life. You've now got that forgiveness that one so desperately needs. Okay. So they were both lawgivers, both Moses and Christ. While we're right here in Exodus 32, let's make this next uh, comparison. Both Moses and Christ had a sacrificial heart. Because God was very, very disappointed in his people in this worship of the golden calf. And Moses pleads with God. Picking up in verse 30 of Exodus 32. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me, Lord. Please blot me out of your book that you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But you go now, you lead the people to the place about which I have spoken uh, to you. All right. So Moses has a very sacrificial attitude. He has great love for his people. And he is, he is pleading with the Lord, let's not utterly destroy them. And of course, Jesus has that same disposition in even a greater way when he comes to this earth. Galatians 1.4 says Jesus gave himself up uh, for our sins that he might deliver us from uh, the evil in this present world. Now one thing to mark here, this again this is a similarity in contrast. Moses was not qualified to offer himself. See Moses offered himself. Block me Lord. But the Lord pretty much says, look, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Okay. Moses could not offer himself for the people because he's not qualified. But such is not the case with Jesus. Jesus was perfectly qualified to make the offering for the sins of people. And I love to read this verse. Hebrews uh, chapter 7 is, is an incredible verse that makes this point clearly. Uh, 
Hebrews 7.26, 7.26, concerning Jesus, it says, uh, For it was indeed fitting, it was indeed fitting, that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So Jesus was perfectly qualified to make an offering for the people, but Moses was not. And so notice that um, Moses and Jesus both were lawgivers, but both of them also had a very sacrificial, sacrificial love uh, for the people. Number eight, this similarity. Both Moses and Jesus underwent a transfiguration. Why would we say that about Moses? What kind of transfiguration did he undergo? Okay. His face glowed. Why did his face glow? Okay. He'd been very close to the glory of God. And so after this incident of, of Exodus 32 and the golden calves, don't say that God doesn't have grace in the Old Testament. God, God's going to bring Moses back up. By the way, just for some information here, when Moses first went up on the mount to receive the law, how long did he stay up there? Forty days. Forty days. So we'll mark and see if we can... Forty days. Seems if I had that marked in my Bible. But this this second time he also stayed forty days. There's some. Jesus was with his disciples forty days too. Once he resurrected. That's true. It's Exodus twenty four eighteen. Twenty four eighteen says when Moses went up on the mount first time. There are 40 days and nights. Okay. And so this second time is going to be the same thing. Exodus 34 is going to stay 40 days. Okay. The people grew tired that first time waiting on Moses. They said, this Moses, we, didn't, we don't know what's happened to him. Make us a God, Aaron. Make us a God. So that's how that come to pass. Here this second time now, he's going to stay 40 days. And picking up in... Um, Verse uh, 29, the shining face of Moses, you see that? 29 to 35 talks about how Moses' face was, very, uh, was shown because he'd been talking to God, verse 29. And then he had to put a veil over his face. Now over in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 and following... Paul's going to use this incident to talk about how that the old law would be fading away and the new law would be more glorious than the old law. Now the old law had glory. And he says, think about Moses' face. Moses' face showed because of the glory of God. The old law had glory. But the new, new law had more glory. Okay. Now, in the case of the old law, the, the face of Moses shined for a while, but eventually it faded away. That, that, that shining faded away. He didn't have to wear the veil forever okay, for the rest of his life. So in the same way, the, the old law would fade away 
and be replaced, of course, by the law of Christ. And that's kind of the point Paul, one of the points Paul is making there in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 7 uh, through verse 13 and 14 uh, there. Okay. Now, Jesus, of course, Matthew 17, 1 through 8, also had a transfiguration experience. And we remember that. Who went up on the mountain with him? Peter, James, and John. And his face was transfigured, became very white, very bright. Okay. And uh, I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke comment on this experience with Jesus. But uh, and then after that um, happened, the, there was the appearance of Moses and Elijah and, and um, Peter uh, began to talk about what we need to do because Moses and Elijah is here. And God interrupted him coming forth from a cloud and saying, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. When that cloud appeared and God spoke, then Peter and the rest of the disciples, the other disciples fell down on the ground. And then when Jesus picked them back up or urged them back up, nobody was there except Jesus. Now, except Jesus only. In Matthew 17, verse 8, when they looked up, they had seen the cloud. They had seen Moses and Elijah. But when they looked up there at the last, then they only saw Jesus. Jesus only. Okay. That sort of relates, in my mind, to this glory on Moses' face eventually <laughs> fading away. So there Jesus is on the mount and his face is transfigured before them and then Moses and Elijah shows up and then this great cloud shows up. Okay. But eventually all that fades away and left only with Jesus. Okay. Making it very obvious that he is the one. He's that prophet that God would raise up like unto Moses and him we shall hearken unto in all things. So both had a transfiguration uh, experience. So just some of these similarities that um, are just really good to, to look at. Number nine is uh, this. Both, both Moses and Jesus. Well, let me ask you, ask you this. Who did Moses marry? Zipporah. Okay, and we made the point last week that she was the daughter of who? Jethro. And Medianite. And he was not of the, the clan of, at least not directly clan of Israel. So when Moses married, he embraced a Gentile bride. Who is the bride of Christ? Church. Does it include Gentiles? Yes. Includes all nations, right? According again to the prophecy of Isaiah uh, 2. Turn to Romans 7 and let's just quickly remind ourselves about uh, who the bride of Christ is. So, Romans 7, verse 1 through uh, 4. Romans 7, 1 through uh, 4. Would somebody like to read that for us? Romans 7, 1 through 4. For 
do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has been over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that if you that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Okay. So notice that closely there. We become dead to the law to be married to another that is the one raised from the dead, Christ. And once we're married to Him, we are expected to bring forth fruit unto God. We become dead to the law of Moses. It served its purpose. It was, it was preparatory in nature, so therefore it was very temporary. But once it served its purpose of preparing the world for Christ, bringing Jesus to the world, pointing out our need for Jesus, then it served its purpose. So therefore we become dead to the law so that we may be married to Christ. Everyone who obeys Christ is married to Him and then God expects fruit to come from that union. Okay. And so this includes Gentiles. And one of the great chapters um, is that Ephesians 2 chapter, those who were afar off have been made uh, near to, by the blood of Jesus talking almost directly about Gentiles there. Those who were far off, Ephesians 2, 13 through 17, been made near by the blood of Jesus. So very important similarity there of Moses embracing a Gentile wife and then Christ doing pretty much the same in a spiritual way, of course. On that same line, you know, Jethro was also the priest of Media. So he was a Gentile priest. Right. Christ also made us priests. Gentiles. That's a good point. Jethro was a Gentile priest of God. We, according to Peter's writings in 1 Peter 2, <clears throat> verse 9, we are priests of God. And we don't need some other man in order to approach God. Because of Jesus, we can go directly to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, verse 16, and, um, and pray to Him, and inquire of Him, plead to Him. So very, very good point. Very good. So all these similarities, there are many more. Let's, let's just, um, just quickly uh, just mention... Um, Two or three more. What did uh, Jesus say in John 3 about being lifted up? Say it, Mark. Draw up, draw men to it. No. That's not John 3. It's close. It's close. Yes, John three fourteen. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, now why did Moses have to lift up the serpent in the wilderness? Okay, why were the people bitten by snakes? 
because they have been murmuring, right? God shows us his attitude toward murmuring very clearly there. But to, to stop that plague, God's told, told Moses to take some, take some brass, create you a snake, put it on a pole, a standard, and when the people look upon that, then, um, then they can be cured. Uh, and so in a similar way, Christ said, John 3, 14, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So when we look upon him in obedience, then we can be cured of our sin problem. And it does say, Mark in John 12, 32, if I, Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's, that's, why, that's why we want to bring people to the cross. That's, that's Jesus drawing power is the cross. There's some action involved in that. Uh, Moses lifting that brass serpent too. Uh, they had to believe that it would cure them, but they also had to go look at it. Yep. They couldn't just stay in their teeth and say, well, I'm going right here, I'm okay. Yep. No, yeah, they had to move, they had to go look at it. There was action involved. That's right. They had to come out of their tent, they had come come away from their dwelling wherever this pole was erected, and they had to look upon that in belief. And so in the same way, the very fact that Jesus lifted up on the cross doesn't automatically save us. We must come to him and uh, submit to him, follow his ways, follow his commands. That's number 10. Number 11 would be another similarity, and that would be that both Moses and Jesus um, were associated with baptism. Okay. How would we say that in regard to Moses? Crossing the Red Sea. That's right. The water uh, surrounded the people as they came through on dry ground through the Red Sea, Exodus 14. And on that day, on that day, when they come up out of the water, uh, they were delivered from their bondage in Egypt. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 actually refers to uh, them being baptized unto Moses. Being baptized unto Moses. In other words, when they came through that Red Sea, Moses was now their leader. Okay. And so in a similar way, we're baptized go down into the water, we come up out of the water, forgiven of our sins, and now Jesus is, is our master. He's our, he's our leader, he's our Lord, and we follow him from then on. Moses, and this, this is the last one I'll mention this evening, number 12, Moses, God through Moses, I should say, Fed the people in the wilderness, did he? What did he feed them? Okay. So, um, God through Moses uh, fed the people manna in the wilderness. Come over to John 6 and 35. Jesus said, I am what? One of his great I am statements. What did he say? I am the bread of life. And he will eventually say, He that eats of me 
shall live. And um, Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus uh, and God, God, Jesus is God, um, made very sure that we have the words of God. Uh, and as Jesus has, um, as Moses fed the people in the wilderness, so even now, we're being fed by Jesus when we look at his, his word. So these 12 similarities, there, there are more. There are more. Both uh, Moses and Jesus were shepherds. I think that's interesting uh, to think about. But what else would you like to add? Or what else? Do you have a question or two about these similarities and differences? Both were humble and bold. Meek. That's a good one. Moses is called in Numbers 12 and 3, the meekest man on all the earth. And Jesus says in Matthew 11 and 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah, they were both prophets. Both prophets. A prophet, the Lord God will raise up unto you, from among you. Another similarity would be their backgrounds and their heritage was both Hebrew. Moses had was born in the lineage of Abraham, but so was Jesus. And so, um, several similarities here. But I think it speaks of God's vision and it speaks toward us being able to trust Him because He knows. He knows. What is it that God doesn't know? Do what? How to what? How to lie. God cannot lie. Thank you guys for being in class and, and um, I just mentioned these similarities for further study because there's, you can look at these, these passages that we've mentioned and, and really profit and build a whole, um, just a whole library of information about Jesus. Appreciate it.